So, we are going to share our heart. You are about to see me as one of my friends in ministry used to say, cut and bleed. Um, we're just going to share the heart of what this church really is and what this church is called to be out of Isaiah chapter 61, the first four verses. We're going to look at that and discuss kind of the idea of what the Word of God says in those four verses and then look at the beginning. So today is going to be the beginnings of a journey that we're going to go on as a church uh, going through the incredible journey that is outlined in these four verses of Isaiah 61. So having said that, let me read this incredible passage. This passage of Scripture is what Jesus quoted at the onset of his ministry. So after he was baptized... We find him in a synagogue. The first time that we hear him referencing scripture is this very passage of scripture. It was the mission statement of Jesus, and it continues to be the mission statement of Jesus today. He is still doing the same thing. He is still about the same thing. And if we are abiding in Jesus today, we are still called to the exact same thing that Jesus was. Because it's actually Jesus working it through it, through working his purpose through us. So Isaiah 61. Verses 1 through 4 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint to them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Verse 4, and they shall build the old wastes, they shall raise up the former desolations, they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. So what you see here in this passage of scripture is a progression And I'm looking for a clicker. (laughs) Thank you very much. He who finds a wife finds a great thing. For those of you who read the scripture often, you'll know what I mean. There is a progression. If you look in in this passage of scripture, and I apologize if some of you can't can't quite see it. Some of these uh, words are underlined. There is a progression that happens in this passage of scripture that begins with healing the brokenhearted. So it starts with the gospel and the good news. The gospel to the poor. Now the idea of poor in this scripture is not necessarily the economically disenfranchised, although that would be included in the idea of the word. It's anyone who has need. So anyone, perhaps uh, someone going through a divorce, perhaps somebody with anything ultimately of the human condition. We are flawed and in need. The gospel to the poor, but the idea of recognizing one's need, that to that person, the person who is receptive to the help that God wants to bring to the human condition, to them, the gospel comes. And the wonderful thing is that the mission he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, if I can go here, to, to heal the brokenhearted or to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. So healing. Thirdly is this idea of to appoint to them who mourn in Zion. So healing, liberating, but then appointing, what does that mean to be set into place? 
And the same Hebrew word translated into a point is the same Hebrew word used elsewhere in the Old Testament for ordaining priests into ministry or setting a candle in the temple. It's the idea of being set into place. The idea that every single person, even the poorest of conditions in the city of Detroit, are called by God with a place of dignity to be set into. How many of you believe that? The, the, the transformation that happens as a result of authentically following Jesus, being set into place, and ultimately the end product of following Jesus is that Jesus through you is a rebuilder. They shall rebuild the old waste, the desolations of many generations. That, that the condition starting with poverty, authentically following Jesus, the Spirit of God leads people through healing, being liberated, finding their call in God, and becoming a rebuilder of waste places. That is, to me, that's good news. I don't, I don't, I don't know if, if I'm alone on that, but to me, that's awesome. I love that. I want to give my life for that. And so if I could just ask you, as we, as we look at this, we're going to look at these kind of the, the progression here, and I'm going to invite you to even consider healing in your own life. Um, I would say most people, maybe 100% of people, have some area of brokenness in their heart. The only thing that distinguishes us is those who know that and those who don't. And it's a progressive journey. It's not like we get healed and then we get liberated and then, you know, then we can be a rebuilder. And, but yet there is healing and liberating that God will bring us through. And the more we walk through of healing and liberating, the more of that that we have to give away to other people. Thus enabling us to become rebuilders of waste places. So I'm going to just read some areas of, of healing that might apply to the human condition. You might want to even close your eyes as I read this list. Some of this could apply to you. Broken relationships, that can bring destruction, a shattering of, of the human heart. Dysfunctional families, struggling marriages, problems with intimacy and sexual intimacy, divorce and its impact, difficulty as a parent raising children, poverty, disappointments, tragedy, bad experiences with church, misunderstandings about God, Self-destructive behaviors, failures, guilt, insecurities, rejection, effects of abuse, racism, racial injustice, financial worries, stress and burnout, fear and anxiety, illness and disease. Any, any one of these, and that's certainly not an exhaustive list, just to give us an idea of the areas where people actually can need healing in their hearts. And when I say people, I'm not talking about the people out there. <laughs> I'm talking about Christians who have been in church for 20 years. You know, there, there's healing that God wants to do at every level continuously, making our hearts like his, whole and pure, that we can be a channel that more and more can actually be giving away something of heaven to other people. So what about liberating? So this I heal, but there's also this idea of liberating, the idea of being liberated from any shackle or bondage that this fallen world that we live in puts on us. So for my own particular case in my own life, if I can just be vulnerable with you, when I became a Christian, as in like I gave my life and put my trust in Jesus at the age of 17, and I never even knew before that that I hadn't done that. I, but that became a, an epiphany to me at the age of 17. In that moment, I was very much dependent, maybe not chemically, 
but psychologically dependent on substances and, and coping with life by using drugs and, or getting drunk. And that was just kind of normal for, for, for my, my surroundings. So my whole social network was, was built around that. And I walked a journey from the moment of putting my trust in Jesus, not to become religious. When I, when I gave my life to Jesus, just so you know, I, didn't, I wasn't repenting of drinking. I didn't even know it was bad. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't find Jesus in some church setting or anything like that. It was, I won't go into the story. But um, there was no kind of moral code that was imposed upon me. In my life, in, as I pursued a relationship with Jesus, I began to realize conflict between my lifestyle and what he wanted. And he brought me through in, through the context of following him and making steps of faith. I won't go into the details. Those who walk the journey with the church certainly are going to know these details. Through the context of walking with Jesus in faith, he brought me liberty. This exact same thing was the case with growing up in the 1980s, inundated with media of all kinds, most of which was not helpful, pornography, MTV, uh, sexually perverse forms of media that shaped my idea of sexuality. And when I became a Christian, I, that's what I came into the picture with and walked through a, a journey, not trying to become religious again, not trying to do the right Christian thing, in my journey of wanting to know Jesus and pursuing him, finding a conflict of my lifestyle with him. And as I yielded to him and put my trust in him, he led me into a place, and again, I'm not going to go into all the details here, led me to a place where I eventually became free. Free. I'm not saying that, that they're like with free from any temptation, but I'm saying free of that constant way of viewing sexuality and of understanding, understanding sexuality free. And I want to tell you, my friends, freedom is good. I didn't actually know that I needed freedom. And before I found freedom, freedom to me looked like bondage. <laughs> I don't want to give this up. I mean, this is like, but, but to touch something of heaven and displace the twisted version of what we have here on the, on the earth is liberating. It's, it's literally what Jesus told us to pray for, the kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. And, um, and, and the same thing would be the case of, of my greatest, as I kind of found liberty in those two places, I, my greatest fear in life was the fear of public speaking. So like doing what I'm doing right now was absolutely unthinkable. And in, again, in my pursuit of my relationship with Jesus, following him, I came into the conflict of realizing to continue following him in the course that he has for me is to face my biggest fear. And, and I can't use words to articulate how real that was. That was not easy. But yet to allow and to, and to keep my heart open in a place of trust, moving and, and taking steps of faith and obedience, God brings liberty to where something that kept me in bondage that would have kept me out of my destiny and being set into my place brought me liberty to where I can function and be who God has called me to be. Every person in this planet has access to that healing and to that liberty in whatever areas may be conflicting in their lives. 
We are the conduits of heaven to bring that. But it starts with receiving that healing and liberating in our own lives. But the cool thing is, you keep on moving forward, there is this thing of appointing. So it's not just being healed, it's not just being liberated. It is ultimately for the point of every person as a son and a daughter of God coming into their place of divine calling and dignity in the work of God, being his representative, his agent on the earth. Are you aware that you're called to that? Well, I, I just thought the, the pastor with the microphone was supposed to do that. The, the believers, the sons and daughters of God. In fact, the Bible says that all creation groans in expectation for the manifestation of the sons of God. And I could take the liberty to say sons and daughters. Every single person to manifest the nature of God around us. Being appointed into our place. So this is not about discovering your gifts or your talents. Anybody can discover gifts and talents that they innately have. It doesn't take a relationship with Jesus to do that. What we're talking about is coming into an awareness through your relationship with a God who loves you endlessly. What he created you for. And being able to stand in confidence, in faith in him, walking into what God, your father, created you to do. And to be able to stand, just like it says at the beginning of that scripture, and say, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because he has anointed me to do X, Y, and Z. And the, and the end result is, is to become a, a rebuilder. A rebuilder of waste places in other lives. And so I think that in this city of Detroit, this idea of rebuilding waste places is highly pertinent. We, we literally are seeing rebuilding of, of buildings and investment that is happening and, and and an influx of people moving back into the city and new economic opportunities. And there's a vibe and there's a thing happening. I don't know if some of you are, are like not aware of, of this actually. Some of you people that come out of the suburbs. Detroit is like being recognized around the world right now for the awesome things that are going down here. There's a... There's a literal rebuilding, and I want to suggest that from God's perspective, it has to do with more as exciting as the buildings and the economic opportunities are. In God's perspective, it has more to do than just buildings. It's people. And there are ruins, uh, if I can say it that way, ruins in people's lives. And the true glory is to see brokenness not just restored and healed, but brokenness transformed into becoming an agent of transformation and a testimony of how awesome God really is. It should be that every single believer who authentically follows Jesus finds themselves in a story, a, a story written in heaven of how God turned your life around and made you into a testimony. It should be that way. And for that, for that cause, I think we're giving our, our, uh, our lives. So if I could just introduce you to a friend of mine, Shahida. You, in the lighting here, unfortunately, it may be a little difficult to, to see. But Shahida is a uh, lovely young lady from Zimbabwe. And uh, we had the privilege of meeting her uh, in relation, through Santon City Church in Johannesburg, South Africa. Shahida, when, we met, when, we, when the church first encountered her... She was the daughter of a lady who was caught up in kind of uh, 
sex work prostitution in, in the worst area of the city of Johannesburg. So if Johannesburg is the most crime-ridden, violent, dangerous city in sub-Saharan Africa, Hillbrow in the inner city is the most dangerous by far area of that city. It is a scary sight. I mean, it's, it is pure like heroin addict, uh, prostitution, sex work, uh, sex trafficking, um, with like a drug cartel and et cetera, et cetera. It's, yeah, we've been there several times, my wife and I, and it is, it is a difficult place. That's where Shahida was living. We had the privilege as a church of forming a relationship with her mom, who, as I said, was, was involved in prostitution. And she came to a wonderful kind of convert, gave her life to Jesus and was integrated into our church community, loved, received, found a, a loving community to kind of receive her. And uh, not from some kind of program, but just walking a journey with people as, as one does, um, were able to help t- kind of take her out of her, her employment, or <laughs> I don't know what you would call it, her, her uh, money-making thing. Thank you. That's awkward. Anyways, uh, and, find, and find proper employment, uh, respectable, and in and, and a, and a place of freedom. Now, her daughter, Shahida, was at the time about 17 years old. And um, at the time when we were talking to her, her biggest aspirations in life were to not end up like her mom and maybe to bag groceries at a grocer. That was like as, as high as she could see. Not that there's anything wrong with that, bagging groceries at a grocer, but that's, that was what she told us, is, is I would like to be able to do that. And so the beautiful thing is that she gave her life to Jesus, had an incredible transformation in her own life. And we were, through our connections in the city, able to introduce her into some amazing relationships with other believers her age and found found real community and uh, came through a journey of seeing kind of the, the epiphanies happen, the aha moments inside of her heart. And uh, when it came time, there was a fund we were able to put together to see her into Vitz University. Once she went, help, her, help her graduate from high school. And then, so Shahida, earlier this year, she's now about 22, 23, just graduated from Vitz University with a degree in speech therapy. So there's this whole family and the whole lineage of what will happen through Shahida, from this generation forward, has completely changed. And, I mean, she was in, like, the most dire of circumstances in all of Johannesburg. And uh, most recently, when I last talked to her, her desire, and, uh, and I'm sure it's going to happen, she wanted to, she's already heavily involved in ministry and doing some amazing things kind of in the, in the, in the city of, of Johannesburg, but she wants to take some trips to partnering churches, NCMI partner churches in Europe, and uh, help some church plants there in the spreading of the gospel. She has stood before execs in the finance industry in, in Johannesburg uh, and, and shared her story with power and with conviction in front of these top dog, the big wigs of the banks in Johannesburg, shared her story in kind of in a pitch to, for people to begin to, to sponsor this fund that's now reaching out to other other uh, disenfranchised youth 
and, uh, and I know she's going to have doors open up. So this girl that once was the daughter of a lady whose family was essentially just going down and down and down is probably going to be standing before Europeans proclaiming the gospel with power. That, my friends, is transformation. So this isn't a program, and what we're about here in Border City Church, this isn't a program, it's relationship. Even what we walked through with Shahida, wasn't a pro, we didn't have like the five steps for her, we delved into life, doing life, and did what makes sense, if you know what I'm saying. I think that that's what we need to be doing here in Detroit, building bridges of relationship with people, not from some paternalistic, you need what I have, but getting in and loving our neighbors, and that means giving everything that we have, including the gospel, including our resources, and seeing people through to a place of actually becoming who they have been called to be in God. That is what we want to see, and that's what we will see in the city of Detroit. I am stoked to see that happening in the days to come. And so what I want to share with us, how many other Shahidas are there in the city? How many other Paul Nichols are there who perhaps in a very different way, I happen to be born uh, in, to a much greater degree of privilege, but it doesn't make any difference. I was just as poor as she was in my heart. Do you understand what I mean by that? Maybe had an economic leg up, but poverty bound by lust bound by fear and bound by some dependence on, on, um, on drugs and those kinds of things. Uh, and, uh, and God saw something different. <laughs> God saw a destiny and a, and a purpose. God sees the same with you. My friends, God sees the same with other people. Our privilege is to walk by faith with Jesus and to see the unfolding of his purpose happening in other people's lives through our loving them with him. So, Transformation begins, if you look at this kind of sequence, the whole thing begins with that healing, and that comes from that verse sent to bind up the brokenhearted. In other words, the whole thing of transformation begins with the heart. Life happens through the heart. And that's what we're going to start right now, just a, a couple thoughts on the, the binding up of the heart. Because life happens from the heart, healing happens at a heart level, liberty then happens through and ultimately even rebuilding. All of that begins at the heart. So what are we, what are we talking about? We're going to begin a, a, a look at this and we'll continue it in the weeks to come. But we have been looking at this idea of the heart in Isaiah 61, bind up the broken heart, the word for heart Everywhere in the Old Testament where that same word appears begins to paint an idea, a picture of what the heart actually is. What is it that God wants to heal and to bind up? So I just want to share a couple thoughts that were on the same page about what, what this thing is. Because this whole journey of Isaiah 61 begins in the heart. So first of all, the heart is the center of your affections. The heart is the center of your affections. So this thing that's being bound up by God is the center of your affections. If you don't believe me, let's, let's read a couple scriptures. For the good, we've got Judges 5 verse 9. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. So here the idea is a heart having affections for a leader in a positive way. 
having support of that person, my heart going out for, or uh, perhaps a military leader in, in this particular case. Uh, or in a bad sense, First Chronicles 15.29, And it happened as the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah came to the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looking out a window, saw King David dancing and playing, and she de- despised him in her heart. So your affections, whether they be positive or negative, occur inside of your heart. Why is that important? Because God wants to heal our heart, and all of us here have affections in our heart, some of which are good, but how many of you know some of which are actually affections that you don't share with God? And the idea of binding up our broken heart is that our affections through relationship with him, the affections we carry in our heart, are actually stemming from our relationship with him, making our heart pure that we are affectionate towards, is the same as him. Okay, so secondarily, the heart is the center of your affections. Secondarily, the heart is where you perceive. Deuteronomy 29.4 says this, Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive, and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. The idea is that the heart is, is where we perceive. So I can say from, for myself, since, since you're not going to offer this information, I'll just give you the, my own vulnerable information. I, I have experienced through insecurity times where somebody has said something, but my perception of what they've said was skewed because of insecurity. Actually, even though we are so used to that kind of thing, God never intended, he didn't create us with those insecurities. That is a result of the fall of man, this world that we're living in now. That is not the kingdom of God. And if Jesus told us to pray that his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my heart, that means that my perceptions can be healed to where I perceive the world around me in consistency with him. And that part of living in the freedom that God has purchased for us is the healing of our perceptions. So the heart is what we perceive with, and I don't know about you, but I want to perceive through a clear lens and not a filter that actually brings me into bondage. Thirdly, the heart is where you feel on the inside. Let's take, for example, courage or confidence or perhaps even hopelessness. It's the heart is where you feel on the inside stemming from a perception of reality. So it's not only your perception, but your heart with those perceptions feels things. Now, I don't know about you, but how many, how many of you have ever felt just this gnawing bad feeling? This sense of doom and gloom is on its way and you can hardly even make it through your day because your heart is heavy because of your perceptions. But actually, God wants our heart to be encouraged and to be healed that even the feelings that we have are consistent with the feelings that he has. Now, I'm not saying that we never feel negative feelings. You understand that? And if you feel negative feelings, it doesn't mean that you're, you're, you know, you've you've obviously walked away from the Lord. No, like every single one of us are going to feel them. But but what thoughts and feelings take root in in our hearts? The gospel has got to be good enough that our heart can be healed. For way too long, it has just been about exterior things. The reality is our life actually flows out of our interior. 
the secret, sacred place where God actually communes with us and heals us at these deep, secret levels that humans may not be able to see, God knows. Fourthly, the heart is where you have conversation with yourself on the inside. Now, some of you perhaps know this a little too well. I don't know. The heart is where you have conversation with yourself on the inside. 1 Samuel 1.13 says this, Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard, and Eli thought she had been, become drunk. So the idea is that there's a conversation that, that happens on the inside. Every single one of us have it. So there, there, we can put on our face, and we can smile, and we can talk to people and interact, but every single one of us probably at some level are forming judgments about the people around us, are forming conclusions, are having thoughts. We're all assimilating the information around us, and we have a conversation that people on the outside may not see, but there's a conversation that happens on the inside. And that conversation should be an edifying one. <laughs> there's, some people are laughing a little, little, this might be hitting home for some people. There is a conversation that we have on the inside, and, and God wants that conversation to be stemming from his truth and a connection and communion that comes from him, a healthy conversation on the inside. Again, it does not mean that we get to this place where we never have negative thoughts running through our heart. Absolutely not. But a, a healed heart does not have those things, less and less has those things taking root, and more and more is being filled with the things that are in the Father's heart. That has to be the true picture of redemption. It has to be union here on earth with God in heaven. That has got to be it. That is the healing and the life flow that the world actually needs to, to receive. I have to believe. I have to believe that God can do it. I've experienced some of it. I've seen some of it in others. I have to believe. And, uh, and be encouraged this, this afternoon, guys. That the, 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 the secret, if you want to know the secret, here it is, the big secret, is that the way into all of this is trusting Jesus. I, I'm not saying, like, not mental assent of an idea or a theology or the, the person, the same person who came here 2,000 years ago, died on a cross, is no longer dead, he is alive, he is accessible, he is real, he actually wants to interact and engage true Freedom and healing simply comes by no longer hiding behind the fig leaves that we've sown for ourselves to hide ourselves from him, but to come out and to let him see who we are and, and acknowledge who we are <laughs> and, to, and to allow him to show us his, himself and his will. That's the, it's, it's like kingdom of God is actually simple. I love that about it, actually. You don't need a theological degree to walk in power in the kingdom of God. It's actually very simple. It's a heart thing. It's not a mental thing. And then fifthly, I think we're, we're on, on number five, is, is this. The heart is the center of your desires. Incredibly important. Psalms 37, 4 says this. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So in other words, your heart is where your desires are formed and where they are stored. And God, again, the, the union 
this idea of what we have been called into when we give our hearts and our lives by faith to Jesus and we become spiritually reborn and he gives us his Holy Spirit, we become intrinsically inseparable from the, the Trinity, from God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They come and dwell inside of us by the Spirit. We become one with them. And the idea is that as our heart is opened to him, as his heart has been opened to us, that he's able to come and do a work in our heart to make us one, not just positionally, but one practically. As in our hearts are actually unified here on earth with his in heaven, and he's able to flow without hindrance in and through us. Does that make sense? That, that's the, the whole idea, and as that happens, God gives us desires in our heart that our desires would match his. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but what is your calling anyway? Everyone wants to know, yeah, I've got a calling in God. And Well, what is that? It's simply God's desires in you, you uniting and identifying with them so that you live out of his desires. I mean, it's actually that simple. And, and how awesome is that, that, how unreligious that is? It's not about just living out what I ought to do because I'm a Bible-believing Christian. It's through fellowship with him, your heart being impregnated with desire, and you live from the fuel of divine desire that has existed from eternity, fueling your life and your vision and what you give your life to. I, I, I love it. So the idea is this. The heart is your inner person. In other words, we've got our exterior, but there is this inner person you're the real you, removed from, removing the, the exteriors and the cloaks that all of us tend to wear, not only in front of one another, but we try to hide from God. The first result of the fall of man with Adam and Eve. Removing all that stuff, the real you. And I know the heart, God gives us a new heart, but the moment that we receive Jesus, our heart is a progressive, he's giving us a new heart. Our heart has good and bad in it. If that's not so, then how, how come so many Christians do bad things? <laughs> right? It's, it's a progressive God coming more deeply and deeply into your heart through intimacy. So that it's the inner person, the center of your affections, perceptions, feelings, and beliefs. That, my friends, before you even get into all the glorious stuff about the call and what God wants to do in the city of Detroit, let's start there. God healing our heart, coming in and, 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 uh, and uh, beginning to bind things up that have been broken. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I would suggest that this thing of the gospel has a whole lot to do with the, with the heart. Like I said before, we focus too long on the mission, taking the gospel to the nations. Oh, well, well, how healthy are we, actually? I'm not saying don't go to the nations. I'm not saying wait until you're perfected before. I'm not saying, but, but are we living in that place of transparency and vulnerability? With, with the Lord. That is where it begins. And my friends, according to Isaiah 61, the gospel is what binds up the brokenhearted. What, what do I mean by that? It's what Jesus did. And the revelation, by virtue of his actions, of who he really is. 
not what religion has portrayed him to be, this angry finger pointing, I died for you so you owe me now kind of Jesus, but a Jesus who literally could not love you or me as messed up as we often case, oftentimes are, could not love us anymore, couldn't. He exhausted his resource and everything for us. And the more that gospel is made known, that is the beginning point of knowing that there is a God. No matter what I do, he loves me. That is, that is the premise, it is the foundation that we continuously go deeper and deeper and deeper into in our spiritual maturity is simply knowing his amazing love for me. I love that. And so if I could just kind of toss these, these three ideas, don't want to preach them, but just remind us as we, as we come to a close, and I want to give you a chance to to, to respond to this awesome God this morning is simply this, is that God created, us, um, God created us in love as a father. He crea- that was the original intent before the fall. The whole language used in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, making man in his image, saying that it was good on every day, and then when he creates man, he says, it is very good. My sons and my daughters loving man. He created us in love as a father. That has always been the original intent and will always be the position of God the Father towards us. Always. How many of you believe that, actually? We can easily forget that one. Secondarily is this, is that God's love does not depend upon our performance. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners had not repented, didn't even know we needed to repent. While we were in that condition, Christ died for the ungodly, for you and for me. Therefore, I can't do anything to escape his love. I can't. I'm not saying that I can, I'm not saying that he's always pleased with me. I can't do anything to escape his love. He is always for me. He is not judging me. He is giving everything to serve me. Our value to God is equivalent to the death of his own son. Let that one sink in. Our value to God is equivalent to the death of his own son. God would spare nothing for you. That is good news. And thirdly, transformation simply begins with this. The removal of those fig leaves that I mentioned. Coming out of hiding, the whole thing started with man being duped into believing that what God said was not the case. In case you don't know the story, the serpent comes to Eve and said, did God really say that if you ate the fruit of that tree that you're really going to die? Did God really say that? And then, and then goes on to say, actually, you know what? If you eat that fruit, God knows that you're actually going to become like him i.e. he's actually just trying to press you down and keep you out of your full potential. Leading the human heart to a place where it didn't trust in God and that right there was the beginning of the problem that led to the brokenness in every single human heart. The solution, therefore, is very simple. What Jesus said, 
I don't know if we can put it up right now, but he said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. What is repent and believe? We've seen that here in America on like road signs, like, you know, turn or burn. No. Repent or believe simply means this, to change your trust, your trust space, to believe, to place your confidence in him. And the only way a human heart can really do that is when they understand the trustworthiness of the one they're trusting, i.e. the brilliance of Jesus dying for the ungodly on a cross. He didn't just say he loves us, he proved it. And from now and forevermore and from that time and forevermore, everyone who has ever received the gospel, received Jesus, knows that God loves because of his actions. And what I am saying to you is the beginning of the solution in the walking out of everything that God has purposed for you and for me and for the people of Detroit, the beginning begins with opening the heart and receiving. Can I, receiving, receiving him, being real with him. Can I ask us to stand? I, I, I just want to uh, give an opportunity to respond. And I want to pray I think there's something powerful when somebody who has experienced something, not that that makes that person any better than anyone else, but if they've legitimately experienced something in God, to pray for that for others, I believe that it, it can be a powerful thing. And what I would love, I, God, I, I have had experiences of, of uh, turning my heart to the Lord. And what I mean by that is just being transparent, being vulnerable, being receptive, not fighting, you know, you win, I lose. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, your, nevertheless, nevertheless, your will be done. And experience something of the presence of God, the realness of God, and the beginnings of, of, a, of a healing of the heart. And so this morning, I, this morning, sheesh, I've been in church way too long. This afternoon, which, by the way, I think is such a cool thing to meet at 4 p.m. Because because I get to sleep. But anyways, that's another, that's another, that's another story. Guys, I, I want to, uh, even if you have received Jesus 20 years ago, or maybe you have never received him at all and had, had an experience, I'm not going to ask you to come down to the front. I'm not going to do anything like that. But I would, I, would, I would encourage you to make some kind of outward sign, not in, for, so people see you, but just maybe open up your palms to God before heaven as a sign between you and him of, of receptivity. Please don't do this. Honestly, if, you're, if your hands are flat, you're, you're, not, you're not being led by the devil if you're not responding physically. Please don't feel any pressure. But if you are stirred in your heart and you want to invite him, as I've been speaking, perhaps your confidence has grown that God actually intends good for you. And maybe I should actually like be real with him and let him in. And, and not try to hide myself from him or hide him from me, but to face him. I want to say that there is a father who delights, delights when his children come. Maybe you've been going to church for 20 years, but it doesn't mean anything about your heart and where you are with him. You're called, my friends, to be an agent of transformation, but it begins with your heart with God. Not, it doesn't begin with your calling. It begins with your heart connection. 
And if you're feeling stirred, can I just ask you to open up your palms, not, not in front of people, as a, in front of God. He's the one who sees your heart. He's the one who knows your heart. So open up your palms before him as an expression of yielding and receptivity. And I just want to pray for you. Father, we, we, we want to turn authentically to you and say that our trust is in you. Jesus, you said to repent and believe. And Lord, we do turn from our own ways. We turn from our own allegiances. We turn from the confidence that we have in ourselves, and say, you alone are God. Thank you that you desire good for us. We place our faith in you. Father, I want to pray that as hearts are turned towards you, you said in your word that when the heart turned towards you, the veil is removed and we behold you. Father, I want to pray right now as hearts are turning towards you, Holy Spirit, remove the veil. Remove the veil that would keep the revelation of Jesus from being pure and simple and powerful. I'm praying, Father, for encounters with you in Jesus' name.